morning, listeners from across the globe. This is episode 74 of the motivational interviewing podcast known as Talking to Change. My name is Sebastian Kaplan, and I am in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Glenn Hines from Derry in Northern Ireland. Hello and good morning, Glenn. Hello and good afternoon, Seb. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, we are obviously in different time zones. I am in the UK, so it's just in the afternoon for me. Good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you. We are going to discuss the uh, the episode that you all will hear after our intro, talking about MI in the context of organization and leadership. And there's a, a lot to offer, not, not just in leadership. I think there's other tidbits and reminders about the importance of MI as a person-centered style uh, in counseling context as well. Lots to take away from, from this episode. Actually, before we get into the episode preview, why don't you Tell us about the ways our listeners can contact us. Fantastic. So on Twitter, or an X as it is now, we are at Change Talking. You can contact Seb directly at S-G-K-F-R-O-M-N-C. And I am at Glenn Hines. Our Instagram is Talking to Change Podcast. Facebook is Talking to Change. An email for suggestions, ideas, feedback, or information on training. It's podcast at glennhines.com. So as you say, Seb, there's a lot that can be taken from today's episode, but what I'm curious about is what did you take away? Yes, well, so this is, we had this conversation with Dr. Jemima Organ, who does a lot of work, both in the counseling realm, but more recently in organization and leadership. However, I, I would say one of my main takeaways from it was a story that she gave about her upbringing and how it influenced her worldview, how it influenced her professional path. It was it was a really touching story about her and her father, and and I'll, maybe I'll just leave it there as a you know as a bit of a tease for people to then uh, listen for. But it, it is really quite interesting. Uh, we often enjoy learning about people's journeys into MI, and and this was a, a particularly compelling one, I think. And I would say the second one gets into a bit of the territory of leadership, which we have covered in a previous episode. Episode sixteen was our first episode looking at MI and leadership uh, with our good friend Frederick Eliasson from Sweden. But, at, you know, I often wrestle with how MI looks and sounds and feels when there is a power differential in the relationship that's as overt as manager to employee or leader to underling uh, from a professional standpoint. And, and I felt like the conversation helps me clarify for me anyway, how MI fits nicely in, in that kind of a setting. Yeah, the, the transition of it from beyond the psychology of helping or health and social care settings, this transition that we're seeing now, that, or as Steve would call it, but the tent pegs being widened, that we're now seeing MI finding a place in arenas that aren't necessarily just about helping. It's in, in this instance, in the corporate world of leadership and working within organizations. Right. Definitely. Those tent bags do seem to be widening and, and definitely in the realm of, of organization and leadership. What about you, Glenn? What did you take from it? Well, as you say, it's the focus is around leadership and uh, Jemima talks about different types of leadership. She talks about transformational leadership and more specifically then for her, the use of what she describes as servant leadership and that being leading upwards the, the blending of the needs of the agency, the organization with the needs of, and abilities of the individuals or the employees. 
with the really important uh, driver, which is to create possibilities and opportunities so that all needs are being satisfied, not just that of the organisation, that, that there's a collective drive based on individuals being recognised and working in tandem with the focus of the organisation. And that very importantly, as already noted, that the motivational interviewing is the conversational style or approach that articulates the the theory of servant leadership. Yeah, you can definitely appreciate how the MI conversational style would perhaps enhance the relationship and then ultimately the performance of, of an employee and in an institution or organization. And, um, and, you know, really felt like the conversation today shed some light on, on how that could happen. So let's listen to the episode. Hello, Jemima. Welcome to the podcast. Really glad to have you joining us today. Uh, let's just start as we often do with our guests. Tell us a little bit about yourself and in particular, your journey into motivational interviewing. Okay, um, my name is Jemima Nedi Ogan. I am a Kenyan who came to study in the U.S. and I'm cross-culturally married. And so my journey in, uh, you know, in into motivational interviewing is that I came to study and uh, in one of the classes, uh, a professor mentioned that there is um, a Christian humanistic professor who's, who's uh, written about uh, motivational interviewing. I had had a bit of exposure of motivational interviewing but not in-depth. Uh, when I was doing my master's um, at Desa University in Nairobi, Kenya. And, and so I was very curious to follow this up uh, because uh, I, I just wanted to know. And so I, I wrote an email to Dr. Miller and I I, I, I was like, I was, I'm, I'm writing a paper and I wanted you know to hear him out. And uh, he was gracious enough to invite me for a cup of tea. And we met and we talked and from that day, I think he he felt that he needed to invest in me. And and from that day, he was very open to just helping me navigate through you know, my, 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 my motivational interviewing journey. Mm. And so I, I got to be trained by him. And he, and he offered. I think for me, that was very surprising. Because, you know, when I Googled him now, I thought to myself, this is one of the top psychologists in America. What interest does he have with me, a, a very simple African lady who has come to study in the U.S.? Uh, yes, definitely feeling very lost at that particular time. I was extremely lost because there was culture shock in, in this environment. And I did not know. I was just like, what on earth? What is this? And so finding someone who could hear me and understand where I'm coming from, and we had a few things in common, was very, very uh, stabilizing for me. So that was very, very encouraging. And then this person offered to help me, you know, and it was just like, what is happening? But I, I uh, all things work out for good. And so I just thought, mm, this is, um, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it and um, I'll run with it. This man seems like a good person. I'll trust him. And he trained me in, in, in the skill. And at that particular time, I also managed to get my uh, my counseling license. And so um, so I was doing my counseling and I was being supervised, but he was also like supervising me as well when it comes to motivational interviewing. It was like I did have clients and I was work I was using motivational interviewing because some of it I had learned it in class and and, and I had also learned it uh, you know through through reading. And now I was actually practicing it at, at the place of work. 
and, and getting my supervisor coached by Dr. Miller himself. And so that was, that was incredible. And then I did my, my mint that in 2018, it was New Orleans and I became a mint. So that was the first aspect of my mintiness, becoming a minty. So trained, coached, and, and up to today, we'll still talk with Dr. Miller. I believe, you know, he's still kind of like, in a way, uh, he's um, mentoring me. So he gets to know, he gets to know everything that I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah, Dr. Miller, this has come up. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I think he's been a great support and, and that's been my journey, my introduction to motivation interview. Wow. And what an introduction you've had and what a a guide you've had on that journey for anybody that's listening to recognize that, you know, it's like being taught to paint by Picasso. It's your, you know, you're working with one of the masters, the, the original master of, of motivational interviewing and, and it sounds like you're mm-hmm. you're fortunate that Bill has been gracious with his time and the support for you and and in many ways the way you describe it, he's taken you under his wing. And and before we explore more about you know the the journey through motivation and if we go back, just what was it about when you first was introduced to motivation and what was it that happened for you that made you want to find out more about it? I think it is it is the, the humanistic side of it. Oh, I've been a counselor for it's almost almost thirty years now. So even before I came came to the U.S., I was very very keen on person centered approach, which you know uh, unconditional positive regard. The client has the script, you know, provide the environment for the client, and they will be able to speak and explore their issues. So that has always been my approach. So motivational interviewing was was very similar. And that that really drew me to it. When we were doing the training, when Dr. Miller was training me, I think he also realized that I was quite good when it comes to the, the creating the environment, connecting with with, with the clients. And, and because the, my clients have always just come and then they come and relax and they start talking and I just listen. It's an unjudgmental environment. And, and, and the skills that I had learned in, in listening and creating that environment was what drew me to motivational interviewing because there's a similarity and very important respecting the other person, the, the other person's worth. The, the spirit of motivational interviewing actually is what really, really is what I resonated with without really getting into the technical side of it. Right. So you were already quite adept and drawn to this idea of creating the environment in which a client can sort of become more themselves and more maybe authentic version of themselves. And, um, and that aligned quite well with, with the MI spirit, which is very much about how a clinician approaches each conversation with a client, you know, the kinds of elements that we want to instill in these conversations, such as partnership or acceptance, compassion, and now, uh, and now empowerment. So you, you've talked about your work as a counselor and how the person-centered approach was embedded in that. And then MI came a bit after that and, and then all the way through to being coming a member of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers or the Mint. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could hear, we start here a little bit more about your experience in leadership. Some might view leadership and counseling as, you know, pretty different fields, uh, although I imagine there's some elements that are can kind of overlap. And we, we, so we'd love to hear more about the, the different journey that you took into into leadership. Okay. 
my my PhD is in uh, organizational information learning sciences, and my focus was on leadership. And when I did the the, the motivational interviewing uh, training, and I'd become a mint, I was very excited about it. And I was absolutely thrilled about it, and I was thinking, how can I incorporate this in the organization? Because we were talking over and over in class when it comes to uh, organizational development, a lot of talk is on on change, change and his motivation. And I was thinking, okay, uh, this method works very well in the clinical world. How come it's not in the in organizations? And so that was my thinking. This it works. It works. With my clients, I see it working. I see them getting motivated, and I get you know. And I thought. Why not bring it in organizations when, when we were doing, you know, classwork? All the time I was thinking, where can it fit in? And where it fitted very well was in leadership. In, in this particular department, we had uh, one of the professors was really, really good. When, you, when we, he ushered us into the department, he said, you better start thinking of your dissertation. And, and that is part of the reason why I was thinking, where can I fit it in? Because I knew I wanted to do my dissertation on motivational interviewing, where can it where, where can it fit in? Is it in supervision? And so it fitted in very well in uh, servant leadership and transformational leadership. But then I had to narrow it down now to just servant leadership. And servant leadership again, you'll ask me why. I think it's because that is what aligns to who I am. I believe in uh, developing people, motivating people to become what they are supposed to be. And I have done that. In my country, I did that a lot. I trained, developed people. I poured my life into people. And those people, I, I, you know, I'm very, very content and very happy to have helped a lot of people to become what they were supposed to be. So it's not just something that I read in the books and it is something that I have practiced. I was able to run a coordinator program uh, back home in my country. And in that program, I, I revamped a certain department and trained people right from scratch, spearheaded to write the manual. So got a team and people now became a team. Everybody wrote a chapter. I think I wrote three chapters in that manual, trained uh, youth leaders how to use this manual, started going to the schools, spoke to many young people. By the time I was leaving that program, it was we were going to seven schools in Kenya. But we had gone to different parts of Kenya and I trained all those people uh, reach, to reach out. Right now, as we talk, the program is in six countries in Africa. It is in Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Ethiopia, Rwanda, and Burundi. And they're still it's still going on. So, so I believe in when you pour your life in somebody, you might never reach those other parts of the world. But this particular person may train other people. It's a ripple effect. You know, it's like... Um, an epicenter. You train someone and they will they will train other people and it will go on and on. Like It will have a ripple effect. I believe in unblocking people. Psychology for me is a tool to help people get unblocked to become what they're supposed to be. Either if they are medically, uh, you know, they, they need medication, they will probably need to, to, to take the medication. But when it comes to behavior change, again, helping them, how can I become what I'm supposed to be? So for me, it, it, it just intertwines. And then it's like, am I going to sit here and wait for clients to come and tell me that in their places of work, because we know that uh, when it comes to uh, psychological challenges that people have, it's either the developmental stages 
a lot of them, oh, my father did this, my mother did this, my brother, my sister, my this and my other, my teachers were this and that and that. So it, it, the environment for, to form what we are seeing in front of us when it comes to the clients, then when, 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 they, when they grow and move on, where do they go? Where do they spend most of their time? They spend most of their, most of their time in their places of work. So some of them actually get attracted to those kind of environments that they were in before when they were growing up, or others will be like, there's something wrong here. Uh, and, and so for me, it was like targeting leaders was is very key. Why? Because at the end of the day, they're also impacting people in the society. And if, you, if you're a leader of six people, those are six families that we're inter- impacting. So if I have a positive impact in these six people, I will, I'm impacting positive because it's like if I, I, I am drawing the best out of this person, these six people, hopefully uh, I, I'm helping them to, 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 you know, not to be very stressed. So when they go back home, they're, they're, they're able to be probably good parents and good spouses and just creating a, a, a ripple effect of a positive environment. Uh, and so for me, focusing on leadership, is, has been very important because leaders have an impact in people's lives. And the better leaders we have, the more positive environments that we can cause in the places wherever we are, not just in the places of work, in the place of work, in the home, with our friends and, 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 and all that. So ripple effect and the recognition that how you are with one person can have a positive or negative effect across Lot of, a lot of other domains and mm-hmm. it sounds like what you're being driven by is the desire to first of all help someone achieve their own purpose exactly and from what you're saying is that therefore there's a belief in you that each of us has a purpose and that as a servant leader that one of your roles is to help me find that out for myself and then how do I go about achieving that Absolutely. again so underneath what what you're saying is it sounds like there's a very strong value or set of values that informs your view of the world and informs your mm-hmm. view of people that mm-hmm. drives you on this path and I guess mm-hmm. that's what I'm curious about is what is it what is it your truth of humanity or hum, humanness is that makes you go I want to help draw this out of people because and I also believe that by drawing it out of one it impacts on a family and it sounds like you're setting out on a journey where you've hoped that individuals, groups, communities eventually get to a place where something is true. And I'm wondering what that is for you. Okay, I think I believe in the, a human being has a lot of self-worth. As human beings, there's, there's no one who is useless. There's no one who is uh, unworthy. And so I come from a place that I think we, we all have self-worth and we all are capable of, of achieving our goals. But uh, what happens is that life happens. Life happens. And as we said, uh, there are people who probably come from uh, backgrounds that are very difficult. And because of that, they, they, they struggle in, in reaching their goals. But other people, the difficult backgrounds, will actually propel them into achieving the goals that they, they desire. I helped rehabilitate street children when I was in my country. I have a passion. I have a, I have a faith, and I believe very strongly that uh, we are we are created in God's image, and we are image bearers. We bear the image of God, and because of that, there is no one who is unworthy 
even if they're, they're an alcoholic or a drunkard or someone who is sleeping on the streets, homeless, whatever they are, they still bear the image of God. And that is what needs to be respected. And and and, and so they do have a self-worth. But this self-worth, it's it's like it's um a lot of things happen and they mar people from actually viewing themselves the way they're supposed to. And so my work really as a counselor and 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 also who is probably now helping and training in, in developing leaders is how can we draw the best out of these people? As a counselor, I help to unblock you and I help to help you to put you on a pedestal where you can be like, okay, I can do it. I can move on and I can have the, 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 the tools to be able to move on. But as, as a leader, it's like, okay, how can I help to draw the best out of these people? Because we know that many people have had very negative experiences. I'm drawn to the people who are down and outs in the society, people who nobody thinks much about. Uh, why am I drawn to helping people? I think it comes from my values. I think it comes to my having been raised with a disabled father who lost his leg because of polio, but it did not stop him from being who he was supposed to be. And, and, and he gave us a lot of hope in life. He, he, he propelled us. That's why I think I'm in America, because he, he trained us to think of the, the world and, as an oyster and, and all the, the preparation that he did for us. So I think for me, coming from a place where the community kind of like looked down upon people who are disabled and thought there's nothing and, and, and knowing that something good can come out of, of us and, and us as his children, we, something good has come out of us. We are all in different parts of the world, impacting and affecting the world. And I think so. So, so for me, there's there's that aspect of raised by a disabled father. Yes, there was a lot of support from some of my relatives and here and there. But the, the wider community, they probably looked at us like these children who are brought up with this lame man. You know, what can they do? What can they tell us? Mm. And and I think so. I, I I'm drawn to people who people don't look think much of. And I mm. say there is something those mm. people can produce that can they, they can contribute to the society wow that, that was a wonderful uh addition to the story and the journey to to this point just imagining you at a very young age learning these lessons about mm-hmm. the potential in someone uh, the potential in someone who otherwise might looked maybe looked at as someone who is lesser than mm-hmm. but also the way he carried himself and the way he mm-hmm. what he the values he instilled in you and your family about you know, even if you are less abled than others, that shouldn't stop you from growing and becoming the person that you are meant to be. And and so you've kind exactly. of carried that forward in your work mm-hmm. as a counselor and then now into your leadership work. Um, mm-hmm. If we can sort of pivot to the, to the leadership part, in particular, even just the phrase servant leadership, could you speak a bit to what that is and maybe define that for those of us who don't, who don't know or are unfamiliar? Servant leadership stems from the aspect of I want to uh, I want to serve people, and from there, then I will look for leadership opportunities. So it is not I want to lead first, and then I look for people to lead. No, no, no. I want to serve people, and how can I serve these people? I can only serve these people uh, by leading them, by influencing them in positive di- directions. What immediately strikes me, Jemima, is it if you think of the world traditionally, we live in a hierarchy, almost shaped as a pyramid. And mm-hmm. traditionally, we see leaders as being at the top of the pyramid 
it sounds like what you're saying is that you invert the pyramid and that the, the, the leaders are, while there's fewer of them, they serve everything above them. That they have responsibility, but they are acting for the benefit of everyone above them in this inverted pyramid. That you, you care for these people, that you're, you're bringing your talents, your skills, your knowledge as a, an aid to these people and mm-hmm. guiding them through the awareness that you have been given and developed for yourself. That there's an awful lot of sharing in the way you describe that, that you're sharing your, your wisdom, you're sharing your insights, you're sharing your, your time, and uh, mm-hmm. you're sharing your willingness to have faith in someone. Earlier on, you mentioned that the, the idea of the likeness of God. It was, it's almost like you're saying that, that each person is pure, perfect, and complete, and what you're trying to do is help them discover that about themselves. But mm-hmm. that's what you're giving them. That's that's what you're bringing to as the leadership role is. You already hold them in that regard. You already hold them in that position. And the service that you're offering is your time, your concentration, your effort, your faith, your belief in that other person. And you hold that for them until they can hold it for themselves. Yes, yes, yes. Servant leadership. It's in an inverted kind of life pyramid. It is not that I am a leader, I'm lording loading it over to you. So Greenleaf, I would say, let me just, just define servant leadership from, you know, the, uh, the Greenleaf, uh, uh, who, who coined the servant leadership, uh, in, in, you know, as we know it today, as a leadership, a servant first, and argued that servant leadership is an intrinsic motivation where an individual begins with a natural feeling they, they want to serve and then looks for opportunities to lead. So, so that is what Greenleaf talked about. Servant leadership and motivational interviewing have very similar characteristics. And, and I think for me, there is an aspect of servant leadership being seen as this mushy-mushy, nice, feel-good kind of like uh, approach to, to life, uh, to leadership. But then there is the aspect of how do you measure it? Can you really do uh, in-depth studies on it? And that's why I was bringing in the motivational interviewing aspect part of it. Because the motivational interviewing aspect of it has the instruments that we can actually use to measure the listening, the empathy, the compassion, ask of how do you ask the questions. The instruments used in motivational interviewing can actually be used in servant leadership to make it, make it even more effective. And, and when it comes to servant leadership, there's, there's an aspect of the motivational interviewing brings in the aspect of we have a goal, goals that we are meeting. It is not just, I'm just being nice to you. I'm just drawing you so that you can become the person you... But we do have objectives for the organizations that need to be met. How can we ensure that that is happening in the organizations? And, and, and so it is not just the individual's objectives. With servant leadership, the, yes, there is an the individual of, uh, uh, objectives. Like, for example, transformational leadership focuses on the objectives of the organization. Servant leadership focuses on the objectives of the individual and how they can they can fit into the organization. So, so there is there is an aspect of it. But when it comes to we bring in motivational interviewing, then we will we will have to set goals. We set goals that yes, this is what is ex- expected in this organization. How can I help you to reach that even as you become what you're supposed to become? Does that help? Yeah, I was gonna say that last part, uh, I think kind of tied it together. That that example of of a conversation that a servant leader might have with someone because one might listen to this and think, okay, if you're a counselor, a client is hiring you 
to help them. And so the idea of them having their own agenda, their own mm-hmm. choices and autonomy in life, and they get to choose if they come mm-hmm. to the next session or not. They get to choose if they mm-hmm. continue to drink or not, or whatever it might yeah. be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not all counselors approach the work in that way, but you could see that a counselor's job is to kind of draw mm-hmm. that out from the other person and respect their autonomy and, and help them with their goals. And mm-hmm. in the context of leadership, I think, and, and I was kind of wrestling this with this myself, you know, a leader in an organization or in a business is, I suppose, at some level, at a, in a significant level, guided not by the employees, but by the mission of the institution or the organization. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, if the employees, if what they want, if they are wanting things that are at odds with the organization, well, that's a relationship that just can't continue. But, but I I think what the way you frame that there is, is sort of this upfront transparency about this is what we do. This is what we're about. This is what we're trying to accomplish. This is what we're trying Mm -hmm. to sell or teach or, create or build. And through that servant leadership model, that sort of flipped hierarchy model, the leader Mm -hmm. focuses first and foremost on who this other person is, and they can kind of draw out from that person in the context, though, of the organization's mission. Exactly. Yes. That is very well said. And I think there's a point in which, because I did a I did a study on this, and uh, one of my uh, participants actually said uh, they had tried everything, even motivational interviewing, and it didn't work for this particular worker. So they had to release him, for him to go to the wider world. You know, so there's an aspect of you can try everything, but if that person, if servant leadership, you know, are using motivational skills, interviewing skills, and everything, but if this person is just a very difficult person and they have their own issues that they're not dealing with, then nicely and kindly help them to grow. But they might have to do that outside of your organization. So, so change, so, change, change so, the people yeah. or change the people? So if, if, they, if, they're not, if they're not buying into the organizational values or the organizational purpose, then mm-hmm. it, you offer them the opportunity to go and grow somewhere else? Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. Yes. I suppose just for my own clarification, and I think what Seb was just saying was very helpful as well. It's just it was almost like from a, the transformational leadership was working much more on a macro level, which was working on the whole organization, mm-hmm. whereas the okay. servant leadership is, as Seb saying, is find the individual and find their strengths, help them flourish, mm-hmm. and how then that mm-hmm. fits to into the the jigsaw that is this organization, and we trust mm-hmm. them to be able to help us find that rather than us deciding. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be doing what? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, the transformational aspect is the more of the objectives. The, the transformational leader is is very inspirational. Um, if if we think about in our in the world today, are there examples of people you'd say that's servant leadership and that's transformational leadership? I think I just have people in in history. I have the Nelson Mandela's. I have the Mother Teresa's. I have the Martin Luther King. I think was very transformational. People who seem to look like they're leading revolutions, <laughs> very transformational. But, but what, uh, what do you suppose, I mean, you listen to Martin Luther King speak and you just can't help but be moved and chills in your body. At least that's my reaction still after hearing mm-hmm. so many of his speeches. But from the standpoint of leadership skill, if we could 
kind of whittle it down a little bit. Like, what, what do you suppose they do? You know, because if if there was a an organization, a, the school district here where I live in North Carolina or the hospital system that I work in, what could a leader in an inst- in institutions like that take from someone like Martin Luther King in a skill-based way that they could then help transform their their organization or their institution? I would say that it's very important to be very visionary, to be to have a vision to where your organization wants to go. Very important to be inspired yourself. And you're a good communicator. You can communicate the vision that you have to the people. You are motivated, self-motivated yourself. And you believe in this and you're able to impact that vision to the people that, that you're leading generally, like, let's say in that school district. Now you're a positive person. You're not just leading people and uh, with all the negativities under the sun. You're, you're, you're a very positive person. You believe in something. You're believing in, in, in this thing and you're selling it to them and telling them you can make it, we can do it and we can do it. And, you know, being able to read your audience or the people that you're leading to understand who, who are they, where are they coming from and, and where are they going? Because the, the, the transformational, it's like, I want this to happen. I want, yes, I will encourage you, but, but we are focusing on this. But the servant leadership comes in and say, okay, how can I help these people actually develop themselves to be able to achieve these goals? It sounds like the, the transformational leadership leader would be someone you might meet in government, whereas mm-hmm. the servant leadership will be somebody who will be working on the ground in a community development so that huh. the, the community themselves are becoming mm-hmm. empowered rather than everything being given to them and waiting on somebody else to provide them with the lifestyle that they want or that you're helping them create it for themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're empowering them to change. Yes. Servant leadership is more, that, those two examples, uh, this community level, you're empowering them to see the need and to change their environment. Vis-a-vis a transformational leader, wants to, you know, there are certain goals for the organization, goals and objectives of the organizations that need to be met. And where where the, the relationship, as you've been describing, as, as you're saying, is that for you, motivational interviewing is the language that a servant leader can articulate and engage and focus and evoke and plan that process. Yes, I think for me, I have come to realize it is not just servant leadership language. I have changed my trainings now to become creative leadership conversation skills. So because it's not just about the servant leader, I've just come to realize it is actually all of us people in leadership. How do you communicate with these people? So I've kind of like deviated a little bit. I'm not just saying servant leadership. I'm just saying creative leadership conversations. How can generally as leaders, how can we talk to people and draw the best out of them? And now that is what motivational interviewing brings in when it comes to the oars, not only creating the environment so that I, I do not, you know, when I walk in as a leader, people don't all of a sudden straighten up and, you know, they, they, you know, because I, I have come in, this powerful woman has come in, let us all hide and, you know, no, 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 no. It is how can I come in because I'm human, I'm authentic, I'm human. <laughs> and I humanize. I, it's like I, I, the other people are also human beings. And mm. life happens to everybody. So if someone is coming in late every day, instead of just thinking that this person should be punished, 
how can we how can I talk to this person and say, hey, excuse me, I think I realize that, you know, for the past couple of weeks or months you've been coming late. I'm just wondering what is what would be the problem? Instead of, oh, you're coming late and you know you you will get a you know, no, no, no. What could be the problem? Then the person might tell you, you know, I have to drop my daughter here and I have to go to this and I have to find a childcare and I have to do this, this and that. And then we say, okay, so how can we try and do that? How can we try, how can I help you to try and do that before the time for coming to work so that you're not, you know, late? Because there are also rules in this organization that you need to keep time. And if you keep coming in late, then you're getting into your, your records are not very good. Or someone whose performance has dropped at, at the place of work, asking them questions like, what, 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 what is actually happening? Other than just raining down on them. Yeah, it's, it seems like there's servant leadership or, or maybe to borrow the counselor language from earlier, person-centered mm-hmm. leadership or employee-centered mm-hmm. leadership maybe is, yeah. is another way to say it is you're starting with the person and what, they might be experiencing that could be impacting their ability to fit into the expectations of the organization. If it were organizationally centered leadership, the meeting would be anchored and start and and ultimately end with the rules that this person has broken. And uh, you could imagine a lot of information that a a leader would give to the other person about what the expectations are and Mm -hmm. what's going to, what's, what's needed to fix it. What you're suggesting here, which as those of us who know about MI can see the parallels here, that it's about Mm -hmm. starting with the other person and drawing from Mm -hmm. them, not just what's going on, but I suppose even getting to the point of what's to be done about it, that's Mm -hmm. also a conversation that can be drawn from the other person. Yes. Yeah. So Jemima, you mentioned the concept of the oars, and for many of our audience, they will recognize the oars are open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and summaries, the core skills of motivation. Where do you experience that? Where do you see that fitting with servant leadership? I would say that it fits in with the conversations, daily conversations, when as a servant leader, talking to the person that you're leading or the group of people that you're leading. And so it is something that is supposed to be inculcated, inculcated in us so that we are, we are not performing, but we are just being, because servant leadership is being. And motivational interviewing is also being, you know, to the other person. It is not doing motivational interviewing. It is being motivational, you know, a, a motivational interview. And so I would say when it comes to uh, motivational interviewing, uh, with the, the, the spirit of motivational interviewing, we've talked about it, creating the environment. You know, and then when it comes to open-ended questions, how do you ask the open-ended questions? So that uh, in, in, in the today, day-to-day conversations, it's about what do you think you can do in this area? And how can you do this? And what can, you know, what do you think? So that it is not, it is not that I'm the Mr. Fixer or Miss Fixer. Come to me and I'll fix all your problems. It is like, what can you, throwing back to, to the employees and telling them, in a way you're saying you can do it. You have the you know, and, and and if it's a very technical thing that they cannot do, then we'll try to find out how can they be taught how to do it, but giving them that opportunity. And that that now just feeds into that. I normally talk about the three three legged stool, where the the need of competence, need of relatedness, need of belonging in the place of work, very very important. And this is by DCN DCN Ryan, who talks about the the, the psychological needs of an, an as a human being. To be to be uh, to be psychologically well, we need these three met needs of competence, relatedness, and and sense of belonging. 
So that in itself helps to meet the need of competence. When you're asking them, what do you think you can do? What do you think? It helps to meet that need and helps this person feel, oh, so they think I can. When I was doing the research, some of the people who lead 20, 30 people, they were like, this boy used to come to my office every time and they always come and ask me questions, ask me, how do I do this? How do... So one day after doing the, this motivational interviewing training, I started, it was very difficult, but I changed the thing and I started asking them, what do you think you can do? So before they came to my office, they started thinking of how to sort the problem out. Mm. And that in itself helped, helped, helped now this participant. They reduce the, you know, stress levels, help the participant. And, and, and so it's just throwing it back. So that is the open-ended questions. And then affirmation. Uh, again, we are dealing also with the psychological aspect of the individual. The three-legged stool, going back to that. How do I mind meeting that? By affirming this person, making them feel, oh, so I am actually worth, I can. And so I'm pulling what they can. And, and this affirming, I, you know, I draw a lot from the, from the cards, you know, the, the, the motivation interviewing cards. Mm-hmm. Um, the values cards? Exactly. You do the values cards and then from the values cards, they tell you I can do this, this, this and that. And then you're thinking, okay, this, this and that. And, the, you know, and then so getting that, formulating the questions, how we formulate the affirmation questions, which is also a skill. How do I affirm? And bringing that into the place of work. Again, I'm dealing with the psychological aspect of it, the, the, the affirmation and then reflecting. Very, very, very key. What do I reflect on? So that they can continue exploring or talking about uh, putting in all this in the conversations. It may just be affirming. It may just be open, asking open-ended questions. It may, I've, I've done this when I'm coaching and it's like the results when people come, they tell you, imagine it worked. Imagine it worked. So you're like just in conversations. It doesn't have to be in a big meeting or something, but it's just in the day-to-day conversations can help the other person feel valued in the place of work. How, how do I draw people in by asking them questions? So I'm not a know-it-all. I'm drawing, you, you know, I'm saying you, we all can. And in meetings, just doing that and, and seeing, oh, some people think, oh, you mean I can actually even be asked? Mm. So I think it's uh, being in, inclusive in, 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 that, mm. in that way. So there's something even inherent or implicit in asking an open question is there's an assumption that the other person doesn't just have a fact or a one word answer, but they have an idea or they have a process in mind or a solution in mind. It's invitation for the other person or to the other person to share what it is they know, what their experiences are. And implied in that assumption or in that invitation is what you have to offer is of value. It's not just a conversation where the leader imposes their will and their knowledge on the other person. And affirmations mm-hmm. also, it, it maybe in a more explicit way, is highlighting and naming strengths that the other person possesses. Now, granted, mm-hmm. those are strengths that will likely be applicable in the work environment and perhaps further the mission of the organization, but there's still this like that part will come as long as the leader is in really dialed in and focused on the other person and what they know and what they bring to the table and what their strengths are. Mm-hmm. And also the listening, the listening part, very important because it's like, as I'm asking the open-ended questions, I'm listening to what they're saying. I'll be able to hear where it is that they're having issues. Just like a counselor, I'm able to see, okay, I'm able to get insights. 
into the, the challenges of an individual, why they are stuck. And so in the organization with this person, why are they not performing? You know, and I'm not, I'm not asking them, why are you not performing? I've seen what the issue is. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, there's something that is making this person not perform. What, what is it? Mm. And we want to find it from them because mm. when they tell us, the problem is kind of like uh, sorted halfway. Yeah. And that person will, and, 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 and to give an example, I've quite a few people that I've coached are middle level managers who have no leadership skills, had no leadership skills. They were just very good in what they were doing and then they were promoted. And then suddenly they are sandwiched in between the executive and the subordinates and they're thinking, how do I deal with these people? All of a sudden I was performing very well. I was good at my job. I've been promoted. What do I do now? And so this particular was like, was like she was so stressed. She wanted to just throw in the towel and say, I'm done. You know, I'm quitting this place. So when I told her that I do this, she was like, okay, how can we, how can you help me? So I said, can you find out? And when she was using the MI skills, affirming this person, talk of how have you been? How was your day? How, you know, and this person just broke down because I think the wife had left him. I don't know what, so many other issues. <laughs> so it's like, okay, there's an aspect of now I'm almost becoming a counselor, but at least I'm getting the work done because this person feel listened to in the place of work. Mm. Yeah, people really value being witnessed as people and not getting their exactly. value by the role they've been assigned. That it's yeah. that when, when somebody sees us for who we are and accepts us with curiosity and an openness, that can be very, mm -hmm. very powerful for anyone, no matter where they are in the hierarchy. And it sounds like that's part of what you're encouraging managers to be aware of, which is see these people as people and uh, as contributors to the, the big picture. But again, it comes back to the very important part that you started off today with was the values that you as an individual bring to the party is going to influence mm -hmm. everyone else's experience. And it sounds like what, mm -hmm. what has always been true for you and been offered the example from your dad, which is have hope, bring hope to the party and whatever circumstances you find yourself in, dream of the possibility, see, see the potential of what you can mm -hmm. achieve. And it sounds like that was a beautiful gift for your father to give you that has led you to go out and cross the horizon on so many different realms and having mm. discovered that, it sounds like that's the gift you want to give back to other people, that you want to share the gift your father shared with you, which is set sail. You could be helped to navigate where do you want to go, not where do you have to go. It sounds like if you could choose where you were sailing to, who is that person, and help them to articulate it. Because again, when you were describing the use of the open-ended questions and affirmations, what rose up for me was the importance of change talk in motivational interviewing. Mm. And what you're mm. inviting the leaders to do is to explore where is this person talking about difficulties, where, but also very importantly, where are they talking about the opportunities within those difficulties? And it's that fine-tuned listening for the possibility, listening for desire, listening for mm. preparatory change talk, and then mm. exploring how you can then amplify that. And when you're hearing resistance or when you're hearing difficulty, how do you respond to that in a way that doesn't amplify it, but again invites the person to go, yep, I can hear how difficult that is for you. So what do you think will help you change that? What is it I or other people can do to come alongside of you to make that more possible? It's wonderful to hear that what it is we in motivational interviewing know to be true 
is now going out into the corporate world. It's now going out into, inverted commas, the, the non-psychological, the ordinary world. And it has a place. Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt that Bill and Steve will be delighted about that. But with where we are now, we all ask our guests a question around this point, which is given where you are, given what you're doing in your life, is there anything in particular that's catching your attention that may be work-related or maybe personally related that you would like to share with us? I think the transition of, uh, I mean, as I'm trying to, in, in a transition at the moment mm. and and just ha- having to adjust, we've moved quite a bit mm. from New Mexico, moved to Pittsburgh, from Pittsburgh, one year, moved to Colorado Springs, two years from Colorado Springs, we've moved to Memphis. And this is totally different world. And so it's just trying to understand my world here in Memphis and how do I fit in? That's what I'm doing. I'm just going for all the all the networking opportunities to just get a feel. What is this new environment? How do I fit into this world professionally? What would work in this world? Definitely it's a totally different environment from the Colorado Springs environment. This environment in, in the South is, is different. Uh, so it is just trying to work out how do I fit in? How do I fit in here? And what who do I need to align myself with? That's where I'm at. And uh, I just can't help but make the parallel that at some point, once your transition is complete and you have somebody who you are uh, working for or perhaps working with, hopefully they'll have an open mind and a curiosity about what that transition has been like for you. And, and that could be part of some of that initial engagement in, in, in a conversation with you that isn't just about the organization, but it's about you and your experience as, you've, as you are now adjusting to a new phase of life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jemima, we uh, we thank you very much for joining us uh, and sharing all your wisdom that you have about MI, servant leadership, and, and some of the interesting um, stories that kind of made up your history. And again, we just we just thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks, Jemima.